what's happening in the canine industry. For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, yet to another episode of The Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Glenn Cook, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Pat Stewart. Hello. This episode, we're going to talk about a saga that happened at the end of 2017. Mm -hmm. We were just wrapping up the year. We were doing our last show. Pat comes in, as you may recall in the episode, he says to me, I think this is going to be an expensive day for me. And that was the day that we examined Remy's teeth outside mm-hmm. and realised that he had smashed a canine. His, uh, I think it was his front right. Yeah, front right. Front right and also one of his top molars. Yeah. The damage was to his front right upper canine mm. and his first premolar, which is the, the third tooth in from the back on the top. And yeah, smashed. I guess one of the things about that is that neither one of us is dentally academic, so we didn't really know much about what to do with teeth. So I probably gave Pat some poor advice and said maybe take him to the vet tomorrow or something like that. I can't remember. Well, it was Boxing Day. so Yeah, it was, was Boxing Day. There was only going to be emergency centres open. I decided to take him to the it, vet. It didn't look that bad when we looked at it. No, like it and he didn't care. Yeah, he didn't care. Slides. He wasn't showing any obvious signs of pain. It didn't look that bad. Like you wouldn't have looked at it and said, yeah, it's horrific or mm. got pulp or nerve exposed or anything like that. Turns out that he did actually have a bit of pulp exposed, which Pat's going to talk about a little bit later on. But when we looked at it, Pat opened his mouth up and said, what do you think? And we could see obvious signs of trauma to his mouth. Like he'd smashed the back off one of his front right canines and you could see like there was a a significant crack in one of his molars. Obviously we knew something had to be done. Hereforth the saga continues. So Mm. Pat, talk us through what happened after you left here. Well, I should probably explain how it happened. Yeah, I think you did in the last episode, but you might as well talk about it. One of the exercises I do pretty often with him and dogs is retrieving a metal pipe and he knows how to hold, I teach him to hold on the pipe and then once he can do that, we then becomes the retrieve and I use just a steel pipe, which I probably won't do in the future, but I've done it plenty of times in the past. It was a bit of a freak accident. So then I throw the pipe out into long grass. I spin him around a few times so he gets a little bit disorientated and then he has to hunt the pipe and find it and then retrieve it. What's the theory behind the pipe? It just has human scent. So it's just a, a steel pipe so it doesn't carry a lot of its own scent. Steel's not giving off a big picture. Yep. And I build up to the point where there's other pipes that are out there and he has to bring back the one that I threw despite mm-hmm. not being able to see where it landed or anything. So right. he has to discern my scent on it. Okay. And I do that with washes and all kinds of things for article indication and it's just an exercise to do that gets him used to the idea of finding human scent on an article not that i'll ever do it with him it's just something i like to do with the dogs it's a good one for anyone that will have to track anyone for real or if you get to a place where there's a robbery or whatever 
to find something that has human scent on it. It is a great exercise that you can control because it leads into the idea of finding human scent. Let's do a future podcast on that. Yeah. Like we did with the box one. Yeah. yeah. We've got a lot of good feedback on that. People are enjoying the interaction mm-hmm. podcasting. So we can talk about the, yeah, the, whole, the whole application, the process and how it yeah. happens and, well, so, and, and not break your dog's teeth. Yeah, exactly. What I do with all the retrieves is he comes back to a marker board. So I use like a whole series of boxes. It's not just that box that we spoke about. There's a, a whole series of different ones that have different purposes and have a marker board that he retrieves to. Mm. And he's been doing that his whole life since he was retrieving it just a few months old. And I'm phasing out the box now. So if I got that box out and told him to retrieve, even if I wasn't in front of the box, he would take it to the box. So now I'm at the point in training where I'm phasing out the box and making him understand that it's bringing it back to me, not to the box. Right. The box was just a reference point to getting to the right position in front of me. Okay. This was, I think, I think it might've been the second session without the marker board. I threw the pipe, he went out and retrieved it and picked it up perfectly and he came running back and he noticed that the box wasn't in position on the first serial, the first rep, and he didn't return dead straight like I'd like him to. He kind of just did a little loop around, kind of like he was looking, where's the box, before he realized, oh, the box isn't here and he came back to me. No worries, did it pretty well, but not quite the finished picture that I wanted. So I just took the pipe off him, asked him to let it go and didn't reward him. (laughs) <laughs> and, and it built frustration and drive. Huge amount of frustration. So he got really angry. So then I do that position. I put him back in between my legs. I caught my place position. He popped in between there and he wasn't wearing a collar. And normally he's very solid on the box. Like he knows that he has to wait on the box until he's sent from it. But because the box wasn't there, he was really agitated and angry. He hadn't been rewarded and frustrated. So he wasn't wearing a collar. So I just held him by the scruff of the neck. Then I threw the pipe again into the grass and to do the next rep and he would have, well, he did do it perfectly. But what I did was it was a really gammy throw by me. I just, just fucked it up and the pipe went higher than it did far. Okay. And with his frustration, extreme drive at that point, he broke free of the, how I just wasn't holding him strong enough. And it, it might've been that he was pulling me that I did such a gammy throw. I don't know. But basically he snatched the metal pipe out of the air like it was a Frisbee. And just bit down hard on it. Yeah. So it was flying through the air. It was moving and he went out at Mach 10 and snatched it exactly like you'd imagine a Frisbee dog Mm. retrieving. Mm. Anyway, he caught it and came straight back and sat in front of me. And uh, I think you said to me when you were giving me the build-up of it right there and then when he grabbed it in air, you knew something's wrong. Yeah, and I thought about trying to call him off. I just watched it happen like it was slow motion. I didn't do anything because I knew there was nothing I could do that would stop him. He was so driven to catch it that there was nothing. Even if I tried to recall him, it wouldn't work. He just would have. The funny thing about the variable schedules, isn't it, that increases driving behaviour. Massively. And in this Mm. case, because in his mind had done everything correctly, like he Mm. was like, I looked for the box, the box wasn't there, so I went into the position and I didn't reward him. He was pretty angry about not being rewarded or frustrated and driven. And so that really went, it, it all worked exactly how I wanted it to. If I had just thrown it better. We wouldn't be we wouldn't be talking about this. Mm. So anyway, he snatched that pipe out of the air like it was a frisbee, and and I knew as soon as he made contact, I was like, I heard the the break. I heard I heard cracking, I, yeah. cracking teeth. Yeah. Anyway, so he returned it. Boom! Straight sat in front of me with a stupid maldrive. Yep. Mm. And and to a perfect position. I was pretty happy with that. I clicked and rewarded, and I saw the pipe fall out of his mouth, and it had blood on it. I was like, oh. But he didn't care one bit. He then flipped back into the middle position and was barking at me, wanting me to pick up the pipe. And I was like, oh, my God, slow down. I guess in hindsight, 
as unfortunate as it was, it's quite good that it was only two teeth. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it could have been heaps worse. That's right. It could have been like several molars, both yeah. canines. It, it could have been quite traumatic. I pick up the pipe and I ran back to the car and I got one of my marker boards and put it on the ground, got him to put his feet on that and then told him to hold the pipe. And when he holds, I can tell him to hold like all the way back past his molars. So it's like right at the back and then through that, I, he was still in drive like really heavily and I think at that point he's probably in pain and he's converting that into a drive of his own. Mm. He held it for me and I was able to really examine his teeth and so it was actually very handy that it had like teeth in a vice I guess, like his whole mouth locked open because yep. he knows to hold the pipe like that and he'll hold that for as long as I want him to. So you can have a good quality look around his mouth. Yeah, so I knew straight away that the canine had chipped and I didn't think it was that bad. I thought the canine probably wasn't too badly damaged. I could see that it was a different shape to the other one and, and that it was chipped but at that point, I, I didn't notice any blood coming from it. Later I did, but at that point, it, it looked like, oh, it's a little chip, no big deal, that, that'll be okay. But then I could see the molar was smashed. You could see that that was completely smashed. And again, there was no nothing hanging out, like no visible pulp exposed. Yeah, but so, well, when I looked at it, the same sort of thing, couldn't see anything that, again, I'm not a dentist. So I couldn't identify whether it was actually very bad or superficial. Yeah. Um, to me, it looked like a dog that would normally crack the end off his tooth. Yeah. Uh, didn't look too bad, but. The reward I was giving him at the time was frozen meat and he chomped through that. Like when I rewarded him, he just chomped into it like it was nothing. So he was fine. And that, you know, that's not a good indicator. As we said afterwards for him, it's not a good indicator that there isn't a problem. The fact that he's happy to go through the pain barrier for mm. it. It's too stoic to really get the picture of that. His sister that I had, Brandy, was the same. Like she nearly died of a like intestinal twist because she just showed no signs or symptoms of it until she was nearly dead of it. Mm. Just too stoic. Well, it's a part of the survival mechanism of dogs anyway that when they do get, or animals in general, that when they do get injured, they have a resilience to a fair amount of pain that they yeah. can still get up and fight or get up and run away. Yeah. That being said, he's in drive, he's got adrenaline flowing, there's a whole range of reasons why he wasn't feeling the pain that he probably did later on yeah so that was in the morning and then we did the podcast and then i thought oh it's it's boxing day there's nowhere open i want to take him to the vet at least just to get it checked out i knew there was probably nothing that a vet could do it was going to be a specialist thing i went thought oh, i'll do it anyway and i remember we were talking about that because i said to you being the day it is you're only going to have like a referral hospital yeah or something like that it's going to be excruciatingly expensive yeah and you said look i've got pet insurance which i recommend that if you've got a dog these days get yeah. pet insurance you know like if you haven't got it it's really a good time to start looking into it because these things unfortunately do crop up i mean we had on a side note we had ladybug eat bedding and that was a six and a half thousand dollar operation mm. that I didn't publicly talk to people about, but now I have. But yeah, six and a half thousand bucks because nothing was open. Yeah, she went to a vet. They didn't know what it was. They, fortunately, their senior vet looked at it and said it is more significant than what you think it is. However, we have to refer her on to an animal referral hospital because at the end of the day, I can't do it. I've got an engagement. I have to go to which we perfectly understood. But, yeah, we went from one vet to another vet to another vet, six and a half thousand bucks later, get animal insurance. Yeah, well, every dog I've ever had uh, insurance for has paid for itself. Val had to have her tail amputated when she got happy tail and that paid for – that pet insurance certainly was worth having then. What do you think the overall cost would have been without pet insurance? Oh, well, I paid it and then you get it back. So her tail came off in two parts because we tried to just do what they call like a field dock prior to the bone. And that didn't work, so we had to do the whole thing. And why didn't it work? What happened? She she just wags her tail. No, she just wags her tail too much. Uh, so yeah. it's well, it's well. called happy tail. She could, what would have happened with her? To side note is 
she just got a very small injury to the end of her tail, like a little cut or whatever. I've seen dogs in the kennels do it. Yeah. We, we get um, dogs like Weimaranas, Dobes, Boxers, the thinner breed of dogs with that really wispy tail, even yeah. though the Springers don't have that same type of tail. It's just the vigorous amount of smashing it into things. Yeah. But they do it in the kennels where they hit the brick wall all the time and, you yeah. know, go in and there's blood spray all over the place. And yeah. And that's what happened to her. She had a very small cut and it just – you could imagine the blood pressure in her tail would be pretty high because it's wagging nonstop mm. and she's constantly hitting it into things. And then when I was bandaging it and she wasn't chewing at it or anything but it just was wagging nonstop. And anyway, when I took it to the vet over it, they said, oh, we've got to amputate this. It's dead. The end of it is dead. Yeah, and then you get the problem with gangrene yeah. potential and, yeah, there's a lot of life-threatening issues yeah. that can come from it. So they did a, a field dock where they just took to the bone and left the rest mm. and uh, that didn't work. Again, there was enough of it that it was wagging around and hitting things. So then they took did the whole lot. So, yeah, it was it was about four grand after both operations, I think. That's up. So, yeah, but we got all that back with no, no biggie. The funny thing about her, again, talking about stoic little dogs, when they called me and said, oh, look, we're going to have to – do the whole amputate the whole tail. I was like, oh, that poor little girl, and I felt terrible for her. And I, I she wouldn't know any difference. No, I went in to pick her up, and she's running around in the vet like she's having a great time. And I said, oh, she must be on some serious meds. They're like, no. Nah. Yeah, she didn't come out going, where's my tail? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and um, she's been fine with it since. But it's funny because the tail docking. When I I told the Alex who bred her, I said, you know, I've had to dock a tail, mm. and I didn't know that in the working Springer field, they're really pushing for the ability to do a field dock at birth or whenever they do it in the first couple of days because they get so many tail injuries when they're out doing their gun dog trials. They, they're constantly beating up their tails. Mm. And it's one of those things like the do-gooders will say, oh, it's a horrible thing to do. And I think for cosmetic reasons, sure, it is a you shouldn't go altering a dog for cosmetic reasons, but it, there's, a real, there's a real benefit to doing it. And you imagine the amount of pain that a dog – or the suffering. Yeah, but they don't have to live with the issue. Yeah, exactly. Mm. The unnecessary suffering that the dog has to go through. There's a lot of things that do good to have opinions on, but they don't have to live with the consequences of it. They exactly. just have an opinion about it. Yeah. And it's like what they say about opinions, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got Everyone's one. Everyone's got one. Mm. So I actually still get stopped in the street sometimes about her. People, a lot of people will ask me how old she is. Mm. And when I say she's four, actually it's her birthday tomorrow. No, the next day. She turns four. Anyway, people will then be like, <gasps> Tail docking's been illegal longer than that. Like, how dare you? And I have to explain, oh, no, she had Happy Tail and the ironically named Happy Tail. She's kind of like the episode we did with Jazz where she's got to constantly explain yeah. why justify she's got an assistance. To justify to people. I think this is a day and age where people are constantly asking questions which have got nothing to do with them anyway. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, you know, I'm, I support desexing pets and that, but people, you see in normal dog groups and people say it's illegal, it's it's horrible to dock ears and tails, but I'll happily cut out your sex organs, no problem. There's actually a very good episode which Dr. Karen Becker, who was an SPCA vet, talks about the terrible implications of early desexing in pets. Yeah, yeah. It's called The Truth About Spaying and Neutering. I highly recommend that you watch that video and have an educated look at somebody who is an industry expert, is a vet, and does have a very significant opinion on the endocrinology issues related to removing sexual organs out of dogs. Yeah, we should put a link up to that. I've watched that. It's very, very, very Very cool. informative from somebody. You can't say, oh, you just have an opinion because you're emotional about it. She has an opinion because she's a vet and she's actually researched it and has seen firsthand the horrific consequences of later life in, in a lot. Like I'm not talking about one or two, I'm talking about thousands of pets who have been 
de-sexed early and the problems related to it. She actually gets pretty emotional in that as well, right? Thinking about Very all, emotional. The, all the pets that she's done that She to. feels like horrendous guilt about the fact that she's created or been a significant impact on thousands and thousands of pets, rescue pets around the United States. And yeah, she does feel extreme guilt about it. She does go on in the video for people, I know we're sidetracking about Remy's tooth, but she does go on about in the video about if you're an irresponsible person and that you're you're going to let your dog roam the street and all these sort of things, then yeah, you really should be somebody that does considering desexing because yeah. she's not promoting irresponsible breeding and maintenance and owning of dogs. She's promoting responsible breeding, but she's also saying there's plenty of people I know that have got entire dogs. They've had them all their life and they've never had an accidental litter of puppies. Yeah. Their dog wasn't able to dig out of their yard or smash through the fence like people claim that happens. And for some of those people who make those claims, some of them are legitimate. Others are entirely bullshit answers. Yeah. It's laziness. It's pure laziness. It's inconvenience that it happens a lot, a lot of the times. If you've got a dog, you've got responsibilities. Part of those responsibilities is properly training your dog. Another part of that responsibility is management and maintenance of yeah. the dog as well. That said, accidents do happen. Like as they, they say do. in Jurassic Park, life finds a way. I've yeah, yeah, heard yeah. about even cat dogs manage to tie between kennels. and, and It does happen. It yeah. does happen. It can happen. And we always will be in a situation where those phenomenons do occur. Yeah. Anyway, let's get back to Remy's tooth. I want to, because I haven't actually heard this story. Yeah. And I think that, or, or were we talking about, were we finishing with Val's happy tail? Oh, well, she she got a tail dog. She's got this tiny little nub that doesn't smash into anything anymore. You can still see that wiggling around. The but people say pet insurance yeah. paid for itself on that. It, it definitely was worthwhile. And I haven't put the claims in yet with Remy with his teeth, but we'll see how that pans out. So anyway, I decided, yep, yeah, I'm going to go to the vet today. Dog's very important to me. His teeth are very important to him. So it's worth, you know, it'll cost what it costs. I'll deal with that later. Mm. So because I was out here on the way home, I sort of looked up and what would be open at Sydney Univet, you know, they're open 24-7 and Sash. And Sash is on the way home. And I remember hearing, they didn't have anything on their website about dental, but I remember hearing that a friend of mine's dog had had dental work there. So I decided to go there and see see what happened. So went there and they don't have a dentist anymore. They had a dentist um, who's gone to do, gone back to America to do more study there. I think it, I've ended up finding out that she's really into the research side of it. And is she coming back or is she? I don't think so, no. Okay, okay. Um, not, to, not to my knowledge. Hmm. So it's, it's not a knock against Sash or any of the referral animal hospitals, but when you go there, you automatically know your wallet is really going to be stretched. Yeah, they're providing it. A niche service, mm. and so you pay for it. So yeah. I accept that. that it's that's, like going to a specialist. Yeah. As soon as you bypass the GP and go to a specialist, it's your wallet really gets a hammering. It was pretty funny there because, you know, Remy's a really good-looking dog and people there, everyone's sort of pining over him, like, and he's loving it. He's So he gets all jacked up and he's not really showing any sort of pain symptoms and everybody sort of stares at him when he barks at them and wants to cuddle. So he's all over the place. And I don't have yet with him, I don't have – very good control outside of drive. Mm. So he's my rule with him because he's not, I don't really look at him as a pet dog. He's a dog I plan to compete with. Remy's either doing what I want him to do or what he wants to do. Mm. And I didn't want to burn my obedience sitting there in the waiting room of the vet. So I just let him, he's on leash, but he's dragging me around. He's strong <laughs> and I just it looked ridiculous. And the vet comes out and he tells me to come in. And now I go, okay, now I'm going to use my obedience. So they've, they've, everyone's been watching this ridiculous dog barking and, and dragging me around. And every, he's so social that every dog that comes out, he wants, to, he wants to drag me to it and people looking at him. So it's a disaster in the waiting room and I'm just letting it happen. And then 
I get him into the, the little treatment room and you can see the vet's like, oh, my God, how are we going to do with this? Remy's still dragging me around the place in the room and I said, oh, he smashed your teeth. I want you to have a look at it. And you can see the guy thinking like, how the hell are we going to have a look at this dog's teeth? I said, are you ready to see him? He goes, yeah, he gets these little things. And I said, up, and he jumps onto the table. I pull out the same pipe, and I tell fuss, and he just, bang, holds the pipe exactly like he had. I told him to sit and hold, and the dentist does, or the, the vet does his whole check of his teeth while he's sitting there. Perfectly hang on to it. Amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that was, I saved up my obedience. I knew that I could get him <laughs> to do a few things, but I didn't want to burn it out there. And he checks out the teeth and basically the gist, the gist was that he said it was sort of worse than I had thought in that the pulp of the canine was exposed. He right. poked it and that was, it was quite painful for him. We could tell it, he was wincing when he actually jammed right in on the pulp. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't really make much noise. I've never heard that dog no, squeal or no. Nah. Yeah. So that was clearly a problem. But then the the molar he poked around at it, and it was clearly smashed, but he wasn't really getting any pain response from it. Right. So that was that sort of threw us both a little bit because we're like, it, it's clearly it looks way worse. Mm. But he doesn't seem to be bothering too much. He was more when he poked the gum behind it that would cause more of a pain response, right. um, which you would expect being poking the gums. But then unfortunately, he sort of explained to me that. The average vet doesn't have he, – he used the term sort of archaic, but they aren't that well trained in the treatment of teeth because he said – Well, neither are GPs. No, that's it. And he just said that's that – That's why we have dentists. They're a specialist in teeth. Exactly. And he said that canine – like dogs in general just do so well without their teeth because they're not hunters anymore. They're not – they don't need those canines for, for killing and dissecting a kill. Yeah, they're given a bowl of mush. Yeah. So he said – we would just take them out and I said, do not take this dog's teeth out. Yeah. I want them. Realistically, I could probably achieve everything I want to achieve with him if he was missing a canine. It's probably not the end of the world. There's plenty of dogs out there biting dogs that have teeth missing. No biggie. But I wanted to keep them. His grip's not set yet. He's still young and I just thought, look, I want to keep these teeth as long as possible. So I said, let's take that off the table. That's not an option. Yep. And he said, well, you're going to have to see a, a specialist. We don't have one here, but you'll have to see one. So in the meantime, he gave me, he just referred him some codeine. And I said, look, the problem with this dog is he bites everything. Even if I, there's no way I can stop him. Even if I lock him in his kennel with nothing but his water bowl, he'll crush the bowl. Mm. Like he's biting all the time. And in the meantime, I'm worried about it. So I asked for a sedative. I can't remember the one that he did, but he was like, he consented to that, I guess, because. ACP. No, it wasn't. It, it was um, Tremor something. Okay. Um, something that was a different one to Ace. Anyway, so he gave me that because he could see, like, I knew the dog and he saw how wild the dog could be mm. and it wasn't through lack of control. That was just how the dog is. Yep. He gave me that. So we left with just some codeine and a, a sedative and that was sort of good luck until you get to a, a specialist. And then he said, I'll give you a referral to a specialist. And he comes back and is like, it's not good news. <laughs> there's, mm. there's only one dentist in Australia. And he's in Melbourne. I'm like, oh, my God. There's a woman in Sydney that uh, Christine Hawke, I think her name is, that is a vet and does a lot of dental work, isn't qualified, like didn't go to the States and do the course. So there is nowhere for them to train here in Australia. There isn't a dental specialist veterinary school. There you go, go, kids. There's an opening. Well, yeah, but this that's the issue. Like how many people are willing to spend the money? Because I was talking to vets horrendous expense in in learning it. So to invest in that education, it's a long time before you get the return. Yep. So anyway. But clearly worth it when you told me the costs that were coming up. So Christine Hawke is in Sydney and can do dental work and is apparently very good at it. I know that the army actually had some dogs go to her and get some work done. So She's very good at it, but she's not around. She's on holidays or she's she's away until February. So that right. took her off the table straight away. Yep. 
then I'm, I'm contacting friends of mine that are vet and I'm sending pictures to people and I'm like, what can I do? And vet med in Ramwick do dental, but like sort of basic dental, they can do a root canal. Uh, so that was always available. They were, they were going to be open the next day and that was available. For those of you in the canine, uh, in the Balance Symposium, Pat was asking the question there, is well, there yeah. any way I can connect with certain vets and yeah. we're doing a bit of a ask around. Well, this guy, David Clark, who's the only vet dentist, mm. I was trying to get in contact with him because it was Boxing Day, so everyone's closed. So what I, I said to Jay, my wife, I said, okay, we're going to Melbourne. I'm going to Melbourne. This is happening. I'm going to get his teeth fixed. Decided I've made that decision. Mm. I get the car packed. I'm ready to go because I figure they're going to open at eight o'clock the next day, right? The day after Boxing Day. My car's packed. I'm ready. I'm going to call them at eight o'clock. And I'm going to be there by five in the afternoon and they're going to see my dog. But they're not open. They're, they're shut for another day. So we sat around and a mummy and I, do I go to Randwick and get it done? Because clearly now I can see that he's starting to be in pain. And he grabbed a basketball and you could see him screaming in pain while he's carrying around this mm. basketball, but he didn't want to let it go. And I was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. It's, it's getting worse. Anyway, long story short, it, we end up getting through to them. I, I was harassing everyone in the canine industry trying to get a hold of uh, the dentist details. I ended up getting through to them and organised for, for him to come in from holiday to treat Remy. Uh, I'm not sure whether he came from holiday, maybe he's going to be there that day, but he was in for a day mm. and organised for him to be there. So we jumped straight in the car. It was and, good fortune, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Isn't it unbelievable how many frigging times with your dogs it either happens on a week night, uh, sorry, weekend, yeah. late at night when your regular vet is not available or just it happens to be some systematic time where it's almost going to triple the cost yeah. or it's going to make it almost impossible to see a treating vet. Yeah, and I had, you know, that like sickening feeling like every minute that was going past, I was thinking he is going to bite something and, and he's going to give himself yeah, and he's going to give himself an inhibition. Yeah. That was my biggest concern. He's going to give oh, himself yeah, an right. inhibition. Like mm. I'm terrified because I, I want to compete with this dog in, in mm. bite sports and I don't want him because he's think still- think that biting is pain or, is, is or punishment. And yep. he's just, I'm watching him- running around like a lunatic mm. and I'm thinking at any minute he's going to grab something. So I'm like keeping him in his box, but even then I'm worried about feeding him. I ended up just feeding him like just raw mints to try and keep it as soft as possible. I did everything I could and, and it, it worked. He didn't bite anything, but I, the whole time I just had this sinking feeling like I was so stressed that he's going to bite something and it's going to be a, a problem. And it's, as I say, like if it happened to any other dog, no worries, you pull their teeth out and they're fine. Who cares? No big deal. They're fine. You're fine. It's all fine. But for him, I just thought, oh God, I have to, and it was it was really bugging me. Like it was all I could think about and I couldn't sleep. I was mm. just pining it over in my head just because I'm obsessive like that. It, people are probably listening and going, oh, fucking hell, what a, like get over it. But it, for me it was really big. But deal. you are an obsessive personality. Yeah, totally. You're like totally. when you put your mind to something, you can't stop thinking about it. Yeah. So by the time I got through to them, it was sort of mid-morning and they said, yeah, you can be in 8.30 tomorrow. So we piled in the family and we zoomed down to Melbourne. You and I were talking backwards and forwards on this quite a lot because you were. Te- I remember you now that you're telling me about the basketball, that whole saga. And at some stage, I messaged you and I said, "How's it going? How's your search of the vet?" At that stage, you said to me, "I've got the car packed. I'm going to Melbourne tomorrow morning." Yeah. And I thought, "Wow!" And then you said to me, "Well, the reason is, is because he's the only treating vet in the country that's available to do the dog's tooth." Yeah. It's quite amazing, really. I understand. So he, you know, I don't know how long it takes to become a vet, like five years or six years or whatever at uni. And then you got to go to America and he went to school in Texas and it's probably another seven years there, I think someone said. Wow. Yeah. So it's a huge huge investment and we're lucky that he did that and lucky that he came back to Australia. And he was telling me that, I can't remember the name of the the one at at SASH, but she was more into the research side of it. And so that's why she went back to America to continue the research. 
Okay, and now I can understand why they do charge so much. Oh, yeah. When you're talking about 14 years of your life yeah. that you're sitting in a classroom sweating over results and learning. Yeah, yeah that and not what, getting paid. In fact, not paying, getting paid, yeah. Right? But the cost, we'll get to that, but it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to mm. be. It was quite reasonable. I remember that because that was a part of the conversation. Out. Yeah. We get there and he has, basically they said to me, we don't know. Until we get him under and have a good look, we, we don't know. So all you consent to initially is a, a treatment and yep. then they took bloods and they said, yeah, we're going to put him under. And then you just sort of go in there with your fingers crossed. And I was in there with them and they do all the x-rays and they have a look and we're just super lucky that, yeah, the, the pulp was exposed on both teeth and ideally at SASH we would have gotten like some Medicam and anti-inflammatory, but we didn't. They just gave us the codeine. So it, it would have, don't know, that's just what he gave. Okay. So ideally we should have been on an anti-inflammatory and uh, like a antibiotic mm. to try and keep it going. But I guess he just didn't know that that would be the, the treatment course, right? Because it's so unusual that anyone would have a damaged tooth and then go to the extent that I did. Normally yep. it's coming out anyway. So they give you painkillers for the dog and that's it. Yep. To keep the tooth alive or best chance at keeping it alive and uninfected is anti-inflammatories, um, the painkillers and uh, antibiotic. Which so, is, I'm not running vets down because obviously I have a lot of faith in a lot of great vets, but it's unusual that vets don't load you up when you go there because yeah. usually it's the opposite is they give you tons of stuff. Yeah, so. and infection was what I was most worried about, but because we were poking around on that molar and it wasn't giving pain response, he said, oh, no, the pulp's not exposed, so it's not an issue. But it was on his canine. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we get him under, we do the x-rays and luckily, thank God, all the roots are intact. So the canine just had definitely exposed pulp, but it was just sort of a chip that came off of it. And yep. if that had just been, say, from the bottom of the tooth, it would have been fine, but it's because of the angle it went up at. So that meant that the pulp was exposed and the the molar was smashed like right down the center, actually. Yeah, I saw that. It had like a significant line right through it. Yeah. So I'll put, there'll be, I'll put photos of it on the Facebook page. Mm. But yeah, luckily... The vet said, like, whatever God you've been praying to has looked after you because the canines are intact. Sorry, the roots are intact. Yep. So it was really good. So then he looks at me and he says, they asked who was going to be paying. And I said, oh, me, but I have insurance. And they're like, probably won't cover this. And I was like, okay, well. Great. Cool. Keep going. And then in the treatment earlier. Cool story, bro. Show me your wallet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. In the treatment earlier, we are talking about some of the options. Yep. And cannot, like uh, titanium teeth being one of them. And he said that they- S- Sorry, mate. Sorry to cut you off. Why doesn't, or why isn't it, if it's still a treatment plan, why isn't it covered under pet insurance? I'm not sure. I think probably, well, I haven't put the claim in yet. Okay. I, I don't know. But I think it'll probably be that it's a elective. It's not necessary. It's not life-saving or intervention that he could do without them. That would be my guess. Mm, okay. But- Yeah, I guess that's why- so they would probably cover pulling them out. We'll see. We'll see. I'll put the claim in and, and we'll, we'll report back. Yeah, good. Uh, but I haven't put it in yet. But I mean, it'll, they'll definitely cover the sash visit. Uh, it'll just be the, the teeth, the, the dentist. So anyway, we discussed some treatment options and then he was talking about, oh yeah, I just put some titanium teeth on a couple of army dogs recently and I knew the dogs and they, in fact, one, if not both of them, were ones that Sam had bought for army. So like we just sort of built a bit of a rapport about that and we're talking about titanium. Did teeth. they put them on because they required them? Like yeah, they, they, they chipped, they yeah. capped them? Yeah, they'd yep. burn out their teeth. Right. Um, I think actually that might have been a dog fight and they'd smashed each other's teeth up. I think, I'm not sure, but there were two dogs that had to have their teeth. And for those, adjusted. anyone who's involved in uh, any type of bite sports where dogs are consistently using their canines to grip hold of anything, even dogs that are biting a lot of tennis balls or car tires are probably the worst. If you're letting a dog 
shake and rip up car tyres, they're going to start rounding their teeth off very, very quickly. Yeah. So a lot of people I've seen in the industry have, uh, over the years have come and shown me their dogs and said, look at these teeth, they're flat on the ends of them. And I ask them their habits of what they're using as reinforcement or what their toys are they're playing for the dog. And a lot of times it's either an excessive thing in biting a jute suit or a, a sleeve yeah. or they're ripping around with a car tire. Anyway, yeah. back to Remy. Well, it, tennis balls is a big one as well on that, right? Like yeah, the, tennis, felt, the yeah. felt lining is not good for them. You're better off with a rubber gut or something yeah. like so that. So tennis balls is fine for retrieving, but if you're going to leave the dog to play with, they say no tennis ball because it's like a sandpaper constantly yep. on the enamel of the teeth and wears through it. So we discussed various options. And, and hard bones. Yeah. Things like lamb shank bones and stuff, which you shouldn't give your dogs anyway because there's a high risk of swallowing it and getting jammed in their stomach. Yeah. So brisket and lamb flaps and necks and frames and stuff like that are fine, but hard marrow bones, useless. Don't even bother it. Scoop the marrow out. That's about the only useful thing. The bone itself, I've been telling people for years, like a hard, thick marrow bone, Think about the bone density in that compared to your dog's tooth. One's going to give way over another. So yeah. be smart. So we had discussed options and what it could be and basically he sort of gave me some broad outlines of mm. what was possible and wouldn't know until he had a good look. And then luckily as soon as he did have a good look, he goes, okay, well, it's going to be the best and easiest option. So we're just going to uh, remove the broken piece of the molar. That just came straight out, pulled it straight out. And we'll put they put like a chemical to stimulate the growth of the pulp and then uh, filling just like a human being would get um, whatever that's made out of. What was pretty interesting, what I learned... Was it a porcelain or like a... I don't know. It's like, like a, a resin or something yeah, like that? something like Did you that. get to watch? Were you- uh, so I was there until once they figured out what was going on. Yep. And then they said this will take a couple of hours and I didn't want to stand it. I'd been waiting around all morning, so... I just was there to figure it out and then we left. I left. Plus, you had that. Jane and Ripley. Yeah. Because yeah. they came down for had the- a two year old going crazy in the waiting room. <laughs> what I found pretty interesting was what I didn't know about teeth. Because I, I thought, you know, I've had lots of dogs bite metal pipes and heard about, like, I'm not the first person to train this style. Loads of people do it and they don't break teeth. But I thought maybe he's got bad teeth. Maybe they're weak teeth or whatever. But he said, no, no. Like, he looked at them and said, no, these are fantastic teeth, but he's a young dog. Now, Remy was – he was early to teeth and late to finish. So, remember he went like – he went months with almost no teeth in his head. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was quite Bec- an anomaly. Yeah, because mm. he's got quite a big head, like his baby teeth fell out very early, but then his adult teeth didn't come in until his head had sort of grown to the size it was going to be. And so, his teeth, despite him being 14 months old, his teeth are very young comparatively. And the way a dog's tooth grows is there's the yolk – he explained it to me. It's kind of like an egg. If you can imagine that the the egg has a yolk on the inside and the shell is like a fine shell, like the outside of the tooth being like the shell, and what happens is it hardens from the outside in. So when the teeth are young and new, they're very thin, exactly that the hard part is quite thin and brittle, and that yolk on the inside or the pulp slowly gives into becoming part of the shell and they right. harden inward. Okay. So by the time a dog is like 15, the, that yolk is just like a, the thickness of a hair going into a completely hard tooth. But mm-hmm. for a young dog like him, there's only a very thin shell around a soft pulp and that hardens over time. Right. Because when I asked him about, I said, look, if he's got, if it is a bad teeth problem, I plan on doing heaps of bite work, can we you know, it's possible to get titanium coating on the teeth so that they can do bite work and exactly as you say, it doesn't grind them down, they, they maintain. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, that's impossible without even looking at the dog. He said, because until dogs about two and a half, the teeth aren't thick enough to even attach the titanium to. So that little, that thin shell 
is it just won't hold the yeah well they have to grind down a little bit of it to actually attach the titanium so there's not enough to grind down it has to be at least two and a half before we can even consider it so I think that's one of the reasons it broke is because he's he's a young dog and his teeth are young. He didn't finish teething till very, very late. And so uh, despite his teeth, because I was worried, but he said, no, his teeth are in excellent condition. They're good, strong teeth. They're just young. And that's that's why this happened. Right. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I had no idea about that in dog's teeth. I really, I just assumed that they come out the way they are. Mm. But that's, that's how it goes. Just for everyone's information, I haven't heard a lot of this story before because we were reserving it for doing the podcast. So Pat wanted to tell me while we're actually live to air. what I, I've heard elements of the story, but I haven't heard... Only the bits you were involved in. As only the bits you. I'm involved in, yeah. So I haven't heard like the nitty-gritty and the details. So as you're hearing it, I'm hearing it for the first time as well. Hmm. I had no idea about that. So the, the teeth getting harder from the inside out, I thought was super interesting. And so what that means is now they've put this chemical on the exposed pulp that pulp will then provide a, a barrier itself. So it'll start feeding off and making a shell through that exposed section. And later in life, as we continue to do more bite work, he'll probably break off what is the the filling type part that's there. That'll probably fall off. But the tooth will have created a new barrier itself. So that is pretty cool to think about that it, it actually can heal. You can sort of heal the teeth a little bit. Um, mm. Certainly can't grow back, but it will um, develop hard tooth around where there wasn't in the past. Right. Um, and and it, interesting, I thought that was very interesting that the dogs, as they get older, their teeth get harder. There's medical research going on at the moment where dental research has developed some sort of drug that they can actually help you regrow your teeth. Yeah, so right. I just saw some information on the other day. I didn't read a lot about it, but they're doing a lot of research into that whole capability now. So rather than having to drill out and fill your teeth with amalgam or mercury or whatever they were using, which is those silver fillings you generally see, they're actually talking about your actual teeth being able to regenerate. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Mm, very interesting. That'll change a lot of things. Anyway, that's what they did. They just put these caps on, came back two hours later and he was good to go. Oh, when he said, okay, this is what we're going to do, he looks up at me and he says, I think it'll be about three grand. And I was so relieved because I was thinking, you know, I messaged you. You messaged me and you said um, definitely more than five and less than ten. Yeah, that's that's the bracket I'd sort of given into. But that was me thinking he was going to end up losing the canine Mm. and have to have a titanium tooth put in, which I probably would have been in about that, that range had that happened. But... Really lucky everything worked out. Um, it's a big hit to the wallet. So by the time we went down to Melbourne and went to Sash and got it all done, we were looking at about $4,000. Because you, know, you, you pretty much drove down, did the uh, had the procedure done and then drove straight back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were going With a wife and kid in tow. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, we drove down, like left at lunchtime, got there late in the night because mm. it's not an eight-hour trip when you're doing it with a two-year-old. It's <laughs> a, more like a 10- or 12-hour trip. Yeah. So, we got there late in the night. Uh, Sam's up here for Christmas with family stuff, so we picked up his keys and stayed at his place. Thank you, Sam. And then went straight to the vet, got the teeth done. We were finished by three and we were home at two in the morning. We came straight home. That's dedication. Well, yeah, we had to do it. We had stuff we had to be back for and I just had to get it done. It was, you know, it's my obsession. Yep. And you love the dog. Yeah. And that's it. And I was, I was rash, you know, you find ways to rationalize everything to yourself. I'm thinking, okay, $4,000. Well, well, I didn't pay for the dog. Like Sam gave him to me and you know, others in the little sold for more than that. So I was like, Oh, I'm still ahead. Like it's in my head, it still works out. Everything's fine here. Does Jane share that optimism? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, as much as, you know, you got to do it. There are dogs and we love them. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, indeed. Um, 
Um, and we're lucky to have partners that support our obsessions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like I don't go out, I don't uh, not a big party. I don't really spend that much money on anything other than the dogs. True. So it's a it's, and it's part of your life. Yeah, it's, and it'll yeah. be a tax write off if the if the insurance doesn't cover it, it. It's he's a he's a part of the business. He, yep. So yep. it'll be covered under pay some less tax. But yeah, so that that's the saga of his teeth. What was interesting though on the I put a thing on Facebook about how we're coming home because we're driving through this horrendous storm on the way home. So we're doing like forty, and James was driving at that point, and I was filming it, and I was going to put video of the like it was horrendous storm. And I'm thinking. Oh, much worse can this trip get? Did that happen around Mitagon area? Uh, might have been, yeah. Yeah, actually it was, yeah. Every time that I've come back at this time of year through Mitagon, it just it's like a, it's like this rain catchment area where it just goes crazy and I've been involved in a horrific storm myself in that same type of area. Yeah. It was, I had to pull over at one stage because yeah. I couldn't see four foot in front of you. Yeah, that's what we end up, like everyone was pulling over at that point because yep. you, know, you get through phases where it gets mm. really bad and everyone stops. So it was a bit of an ordeal, but funnily enough, I got a, a message from Sean Edwards straight away saying like, whatever you do, don't put on titanium teeth. Cause my plan was to just do, like I said to the vet, well, you'll, you'll see me back. I got, I found out how much it costs to get titanium coats put on. I said, well, eventually you'll see me back because the amount of work I plan on doing with this dog and want to keep him good, keep his teeth up to scratch. And Sean called me straight away and he's like, oh, whatever you do, don't get titanium teeth. He said it causes all kinds of chewing and grip issues and he's seen it. And so for police dogs that get titanium teeth from wearing them down, because I've seen plenty of police and army dogs, they're probably less concerned about grip because it's not scored. They're just happy with the bite. Yep. Whereas in PSA, I definitely need a particular grip and I've spent a lot of time and energy building that. So I'm glad that it went the way it did and I didn't have to get that titanium tooth because he said actually his dog at an like older in life broke a canine off completely and they were going to get titanium teeth. But then after seeing the result of the chewiness come in, he just went with no tooth and right. the dog never affected grip. He's still fine. He just has three teeth instead of four. Okay. So that was pretty interesting. I didn't know that. And that, that certainly changed my Has that plans. been the observation of several dogs or one dog? Several, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Apparently, so Sean told me that when he heard it he, from Jerry and, you know, they see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dogs and pretty common. Like a, there were a couple when I was in Texas for that NAPWADA certification. I think, yep. I think there were 24 dogs. I think three of them had titanium teeth. Right. But as I say, I wasn't really assessing grip on those dogs, so I couldn't give a comment on it. But it's pretty common, especially in America, where they actually have vet dentists to put on the t- titaniums. You know, in the long run, it's probably is cheaper, mm. Uh, mm. especially if you can keep a dog in service. If he's out of service without them, to put, spend a few thousand dollars on teeth, there's no biggie to keep him running yep. rather than buy a new dog. And yeah, agree. And learn everything. Yeah, so that's really the story of Remy's teeth. That's Remy's teeth. Yeah, for anyone that's interested. So he's on a bite work blackout. They told me that it'll take 90 days it takes for that pulp to develop a new core. The issue now is because he wasn't on antibiotics and any inflammatories, there was small infection and very inflamed pulp. Yep. So they cut out the inflamed part and now it's just a case of trying to get that inflammation to go down. What will happen is if it if the inflammation gets too great, it won't burst the cap open. It'll just die. It'll pressure inside will get so great that the the pulp will die and the tooth will eventually die. Yep. And then we're stuck either taking it out or putting a titanium in or whatever. So now he's on a bite work blackout for, for three months. I have to mm, try and mm. stop him biting anything. So, What's the procedure then for finding out if it's taken well? X-ray. So you've got to take him back to Melbourne? Or? Yeah. Funnily enough, like we've got Bart back for another school in March. So okay, that's going to work out. There. So I've organised it for the Monday of yep. the school. 
if we get the all clear on the Monday, then we're straight back into the developing group on the probably Perfect. the Wednesday. Let him recover from the anesthetic. He was pretty funny after the anesthetic. He was mopey for 24 hours like all dogs are. But it, General anesthetics affect you. Yeah. But it's funny seeing a really high drive dog. He can pull himself out of it, but only for little stints. You can yep. see like he'll, if you ask him for a behavior, he'll jazz into it and then be like, oh my God, that nearly killed me. <laughs> um, so that's the plan. Three months of no bite work. And the hard part is just getting him not to bite anything. I've sort of resorted to letting him bite a ball and letting him carry that around. So yep. when, I'm, when I've got him on leash or whatever, I can just say, Shane, I've got those soft rubber balls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those foam, like foam ones. Yep. Um, yep. So he can just hold that in his mouth and that at least is kind of like a pacifier to yeah, stop him. Yeah, it satiates him. Yeah. Yep. But as I say, when he's unsupervised, even chewing a stick or whatever, mm. it's all just minimise the amount of hard things that he bites on. So it's, it's difficult, but we're managing it. Yeah, and loads of raw meat and eggs and trying to just get him as healthy and jacked up as possible. And now I'm thinking I've got a lot of other behaviours I need to teach, so I'm on to those. Cool. All right, well, that's a fascinating story and I'm looking forward to finding out what the outcome is in March. So obviously you're going to keep us updated in that. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, well, thanks a lot, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to another episode. If you've got any comments that you'd like to make or leave, you can leave them on our Facebook page, which is The Canine Paradigm. Other than that, thanks again for being part of the show and we'll look forward to seeing you again. See ya. Cue the music. Uh